So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Terry and my husband Phil and I moved to Port Macquarie two years ago where, sorry Rach, I didn't grow up. (laughs) But that's okay, I have had many years there. And uh, we took our three children with us. We've got um, a slide when you can throw it up. Um, That's some of the crew up there. So, yeah, we were in Canberra for 10 years and from when we came to Canberra, it was then Life City Church, um, meeting at the loft and the very first Sunday that we went there, we just felt home and we knew it was for us. And so fast forward 10 years later, Phil and I were gathering leaders at the north and we had been to India in 2017 um, to just go and partner with some work that was being done with orphan and vulnerable children. And when we came home, we really felt a stir um, within us for what's happening with orphan and vulnerable children in our own backyard and what does God want us to do in that space. And so we started looking into adoption, started looking into foster care, and we realised with adoption that it would take a really long time, likely. And if we looked at inter-country adoption, that could take a really long time. But there are about 50,000 children in out-of-home care in Australia and they need somewhere safe and they need somewhere that's loving. And so we went on that journey and when we looked at our house, we realised it wasn't going to be big enough to fit any more children in. And we looked at our car and we realised that wasn't going to be big enough either. And we looked at our schedules and we thought, where will we fit this in? And so we really started to make space in our lives. We prayed, we asked God to make space and we looked at Port Macquarie for a number of reasons. We had family there and so when you take extra children into your family, it's really helpful to have extended family. We had family in Canberra and we could have done it here as well but we're thankful. We didn't know COVID was coming. God did. And, um, yeah, we're really thankful that we made the move in that way. It's proved invaluable. And we didn't want to leave Divergent. (laughs) When you find a good thing, you don't want to leave a good thing. And Phil and I have never considered ourselves to be church planters. We've never thought um, that, yeah, that was something that God was going to put on our radar but we chatted it over backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. I was more in, he was more out. Now he's more in and I'm more like, oh, why did I say that? Yes, we'd do this. So much work. Um, But God has been so faithful. So where we find ourselves today, um, wow, God's done a lot. So last year in July, we had two little people come into our home and you can see them and that picture with all the kids, so Evie's holding and he was eight months, was two and they're a brother and sister and like children in out-of-home care, they have hard stories. They came from a home where there was domestic violence, where there was alcohol abuse, um, where there was some neglect and, yeah, the amazing thing about foster care is it changes your life in an instant. God doesn't work quickly, but he does work suddenly. And so one morning the kids had gone to school and I remember my phone ringing and just going, hmm, I don't know that number. Sitting down at the dining room table as a caseworker said, oh, 
I've got some little people that need a home. It's a brother and sister. Can they can be can they be dropped off in three hours? I'm like, oh, okay. Phil was in Canberra for work. No beds, no bedding, no nappies. Um, but I had three hours. So like good women do, and I'm sure good men as well, three hours was enough to get some nappies. My brother-in-law and my dad came and put up a bed and a cot. Actually, I think he had the porter cot to start off with. Anyway, so yeah, there I was, night one, two strangers in my home, and I did not sleep that night at all. (laughs) Jumped on my bed for about four or five hours and then passed out with a TV on. I don't even know what was on. And that began a journey. And I think that's kind of the heart of where I want to go to this morning is living with Jesus and living his way is an adventure and it's risky. I always run out of spit up here. I'm sorry. I don't know why. But it's an adventure. And the thing about adventure is you don't know where you're going. And the thing about adventure is when you start, like I was thinking of me on a mountaintop and looking over, say, a forest that I'm about to go into. And when I look over the top, I can see the horizon, but it's just like a bed of green. It actually looks kind of nice. It actually looks like I can kind of bounce on it. It actually looks like I can take it on. And then I start walking down the valley and guess what? It gets muddy. It gets dark. There are bugs. There are snakes. There's ways to get lost. And that's the adventure. And that's where God wants us to live because then we rely on him and we don't rely on ourselves. When God asks us to obey, to do what we can, he then steps in and does what only he can. And we've seen that happen with the children in our home and we've seen that happen with our church community. So for the first six months, it was Phil, myself, Evie, Nora and Jude. Nora was the worship leader. She would set up the computer with YouTube She would make sure that she'd listened to the song all the way through so we didn't have an ad in the middle of Waymaker where you're like belting it out and then blah, 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 blah. She was really good at it. Evie ran our kids' church. She would make the morning tea. She would set up the Right Now Media video and off they would go while we read the word. And that's, again, the beauty of going on an adventure with your family. They come along and they see you in action and they learn things. And on the same day, two people or two groups of people accessed um, our Divergent Port Macquarie page and came along the next Sunday. So suddenly we went to five people, six people, and then we had another gentleman start coming on a Wednesday for LifeCom. And small beginnings, small beginnings. And when we moved to Port Macquarie, we really felt that God wanted to do something with us, like with new believers. We're like, there are great churches in Port Macquarie We're not going to bring anything different. Phil and I are not that exciting. We have plenty of weaknesses. If you're in a church, stay in your church. But what our heart is is to see new people come to faith, people who don't know Jesus. And even the people that have come through into our um, community have been people that are newish to town. They haven't been connected in a church. And um, we didn't want to just swap fish from boat to boat. We want new fish. We want to go into deep waters. And so Port Macquarie has generally been a um, 
I almost said a geriatric town. <laughs> that would have been not – oh, I said it anyway. Anyway, it's been a retirement place. It's pretty. It's by the beach. They've got lots of good medical services. It's a wonderful place to live. But about four or five years ago, they built a university, Charles Sturt University in town and that's really changed, I guess, a little bit of the dynamic of the social setting there. And we went out to the university, I remember, with the kids. We had a picnic there. We prayed. We said to God, you know, if you want to use us in this space, we want to be in this space, open the doors. We made a few phone calls. Nothing really came of it. And we just kept on doing what we're doing. Sunday mornings in our house, Wednesday mornings in our house, Friday nights we had sent out emails, just cold call emails to all the pastors in town saying, hey, we're in town, we want to recruit and strengthen Christian foster carers. Um, So if you ever let us speak in your church, we'd love to. And we're also here to plant a church. And there were two people that responded to that email. And I'd said to Phil, why even bother? But I'm so glad he did because the two people that responded have been invaluable. So one lady was from C3 Church and they run a crazy youth program on a Friday night where Phil gets beaten up every Friday, like cricket bats, balls, those glow sticks that you can like break open and like, I don't know, put glowy, horrible stuff in people's faces. It's wild. And that has been his testing ground and he's doing a great job and I love praying for him as he walks out the door. And there are so many vulnerable children um, to be reached in that community. There's like 50 or 60 kids that show up. No parents. The first night that Phil went, as he was leaving the grounds where they play sport, he saw some kids stealing a golf buggy from the golf course across the road and disappearing into the darkness of Warhope. It is wild, but God is using us in that place. And every time he wants to quit and not go, he reminds himself that God called us to serve orphan and vulnerable children. And this is right up our alley. And what better way to do it? So I'm very proud of my husband. He's sticking in there. Liam, who came to help us um, plant a church, who's from here as well, he's done well. He's hung in at Warhope Youth for quite a while, but about two weeks ago he has had a broken arm from it, which God healed miraculously. Um, Some kid tripped him over while he was trying to play rugby. And it was just the last two weeks he's gone, I think I'm going to pray on Friday nights for a while (laughs) rather than heading out to youth. He's just needing to pause. Anyway, the other email, oh, the other person that responded was um, a long-time pastor in Port Macquarie, funnily enough, called Phil. Phil Brown. And he said to Phil, oh yeah, I'd love to meet you for coffee. So they connected and it turned out that Phil and Sue, they've spent their entire lives church planting. They've been out through New South, um, regional New South Wales and they had pastored this church in Port Macquarie for about 15 years and it was called Port City Church. Three years ago, they decided that they were getting pretty old They wanted to step back, but they didn't have anybody that they had raised up in their church to take over. So they reached out to a church called Generosity Church, which is a network of ACC churches in regional New South Wales. Ben and Libby Staines are the senior leaders and they thought, surely within our diverse network of churches, we can find some leaders who want to live in Port Macquarie and run a church there, but they couldn't. And so this last three months, they decided we're actually going to close the doors of Generosity Port Macquarie. And when Phil Brown met Phil Thompson, he went, oh, you guys are planning a church. 
we're closing a church. Maybe we can do business. <laughs> and so he's like, hey, guys, I've got all this stuff, chairs, tables, tents, sound gear, a massive big sword with Ephesians 6 written on it, which Liam is like, that's mine. Nobody touch the sword. It's mine. Christmas gear, projectors, like it's a shed full of stuff. And he's like, you guys can have it. We just want it to stay in the community. And then he's like, oh, and this other thing that we have, our building got bought by the uni and then they rented it back to us. So we've got this lease agreement with the uni and this is commercial in confidence, but you can meet on the uni campus and the rent is a dollar a year. Would you like to go into the uni? (laughs) God, he makes a way where there is no way. There was no way in. In fact, at the front of the uni, there are these massive big black gates. And it was not lost on us when we walked up to that uni and Phil Brown gets out his swipe card and the gates open. And there's this beautiful space, modern, state-of-the-art, ours. We could never have done it. I'm going to drink more water. But, you know, it's not all breakthrough. (laughs) Don't we know it? That last year, the year when I went back to sitting on the floor and playing with kids, after being set free from that only like six months before that, um, where I went back to changing nappies and where I went back to not being able to even get in the shower (laughs) some mornings, it's just a shift. And it takes it out of you because transition and change is hard and it's unsettling. And there were times when I was busy and when I'd been up all night and I hadn't showered and I said to the Lord, like, I can't do this. I feel really weak. I know it's not that hard, but I can't do this. I need more of you. And over just my reading in the Word and time with the Lord, God showed me that he had taken me into the wilderness He had taken me into a dry place and he did it not so that he would know what was in my heart but so that I would know what was in my heart so that I could see where I'd made some idols, so I could see where selfishness had crept in when I wanted things my own way or wanted to do things that I wanted to do. And that's really um, what God does for us on these adventures when he takes us into places that are risky we don't know where we're going and we're just working in the dark. We're just doing our thing. He is working on the inside of us. We don't do it alone. And as I kind of move into the next part of my message this morning, what I encourage us with is that the life God calls us to is not a worldly life. It's not a life that looks the same as the world. If we're doing the same things, if we are driven by the same stresses, if the same pressures um, and drives make our decisions for us, we aren't being salt and light. And letting God write your story 
and leaning on his word and walking in his presence is what the difference is. It's what makes us stand out. And, you know, in the Old Testament, God's presence was represented in the tent of meeting initially, the tabernacle, the space that he gave really specific instructions for, that he asked his people to build so that he could meet with them. And then when they moved around the desert and when they moved into the promised land, they would pack the Ark of the Covenant that would go with them and that came to represent God's presence when they were on the move. And some of you may know the story, they were moving the Ark of the Covenant one time from one place to the other and they were doing it in a way that they weren't supposed to and it kind of looked like it was going to fall and somebody reached out their hand to stop it falling and he died on the spot. God's presence is terrifying because presence is what we need. And then you move forward and Solomon builds a temple where the Ark of the Covenant was housed and that came to represent God's presence. And then you move into the New Testament and we see Jesus come to earth, God's presence in flesh. And when Jesus dies and ascends again back into heaven, he sends us the Holy Spirit and he says, now each and every one of you is my temple. Now each and every one of you carries my presence And that presence that we carry marks us out. It makes us different. And I was thinking and preparing this message this morning. I wanted to just look back into what was in the Ark of the Covenant because I think that actually gives us a couple clues about God's presence and what it is going to affect in our lives. And so the very first thing, um, these are in no particular order, but that I want to talk about. So within the Ark of the Covenant was a gold jar of manna. So manna is what God provided for the Israelites to eat while they were in the wilderness. Exodus 16.33 says, So Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generation to come. They keep the manna as a reminder of God's provision of what he's done for them in the desert. But the thing is, we don't only rely on what God's done for us. That's how we remember. That's why we do communion. That's why we encourage each other to look back at our stories and go, look at God's faithfulness. Look at what he's done there and there and there. Won't he do it again? But we actually need his grace too for today. And not only for today, but in going forward as well with what he wants us to do. I'm just jump back because there's a scripture on here that I want to read. So Hebrews 9, 14 says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? It's Christ's blood that does the work in our lives. And it clears our consciences and that is our salvation. We are no longer condemned to death because of what God has done for us. But then it says, so that. He has saved us from eternal damnation so that, so that we may serve the living God. I don't know about you, but service doesn't come naturally to me. In our culture, service is countercultural. We want to be served. 
goes against our flesh to be served and to serve. And Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom, be a servant. And he said, if you want to be greatest in the kingdom, be a slave. Be a slave? I like the parts of the Bible that tell me I've got freedom. I don't like the parts of the Bible that tell me I have to be a slave. But when we trust in God's provision, when we remind ourselves of what he's done and what we've got, it unlocks things in us. It releases us from certain responsibilities because God is the provider. When Phil and I, we had been in Port Macquarie, I think about six months, maybe not even that long. We had about 20 cents in our bank account. I went to Colour Conference in Sydney, the last one that happened in the world before COVID. And my sister had to buy all my food (laughs) for me on that weekend. And then in December, the job that Phil had here in Canberra, um, he was remote working, long story, it came to a close unexpectedly. And we're living in a rental house and we had five kids. And we're telling, um, we had a Christmas party on our street and our house had actually gone up for sale in amongst all of that. And, we, and people were like, oh, we've seen the for sale sign. Oh, are you moving? And we're like, oh, well, we're renting and we're not quite sure what's going to happen. And people were like, aren't you worried? And we're like, we're not worried. We believe in Jesus. He's provided before. He's going to provide again. And he does. And he did. And Phil has a job still based in Canberra um, that God provided along with another job on exactly the same day at exactly the right time. And we just didn't have to stress about it. It just didn't take our focus off what was the main thing, which was planting a church, making disciples, leading our kids. So when you trust God's provision, you don't worry like you have to fight worry. There were some nights where I was worried. (laughs) But I gave it to God and he gave me peace. The second thing that was in the Ark of the Covenant was Aaron's budded staff. So Aaron was a priest, he was a leader, and he had a stick that was dead and God made almonds grow on it. That's a miracle. We have a miracle working God and we should expect miracles when we're in his presence, when we carry his presence, when we're the people of God. Because like we said earlier, we can only do what we can do. God's going to do what he can do. And so in Port Macquarie, we are believing for Lily and Connor's mum and dad to get saved, to know Jesus, to be restored. We're praying for their extended family. We are praying for uni students to get saved. We're praying for old people to get saved. We're praying for young people to get saved. Praying for everybody in between. But we can't do that in our own strength. God's got to provide the miracle. And I think when we walk in a world that is broken, that is hopeless, that is dark, if we're not carrying God's miraculous power, not trusting in his miraculous power, it doesn't look any different. The irony is 
that when we're following God's ways, it often takes us into the road of hardship. The third thing that was in the Ark of the Covenant was the tablets with the law written on it. The Ten Commandments that God handed down on the mountain to Moses. And God gave the people the law because he said, I want you to live in a way that sets you apart from the cultures around you. When you move through the wilderness and when you take the land that I've given you, I want you to look different. I don't want you to look like everybody else around you. Here are the ways that you can stand out. Here are the things that you can do that will make you different. And Jesus summarised the law for us in the New Testament when he said, everything can be put together in these two commandments. Love God with all of your heart, soul and mind and love others as yourself. When you love God about everything else, it puts you at odds with people and it puts you at odds with the world. And when you love others... It costs. When you love those that don't love you back, when you love those who are rude to you, who put you down, who offend you, in some places put you in prison, want to take you out, that costs. And that shows what's in your heart. And I've seen more clearly as I've moved into a place where I'm stretched, there's some things in my heart that Jesus wants to do business with. There's some entitlement in there. There's some idols in there. There's some places where I don't want to surrender. I don't want to let go of how I want to relate to someone or think about someone. Just recently, there was an extended family member in his family, and I just said to God, I don't like her. I'm just going to own it. I don't like her. I don't like how she treats us. But I love her, not because of me, because I serve a God who said, Love one another. Don't be a pushover, have boundaries. But love her when nobody else does because she's rude and because she does what she does. And Terry, when you do that over and over and you come to me over and over for what you need, it'll make a difference. You might not see it. You might not know how it's going to make a difference, but it makes a difference. This is a really sobering part of Scripture. And I think this is the hard part but it's kind of joyous, but it's kind of hard that God would lead us in these ways. But Hebrews 11.36 says, Some face jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, 
yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. I haven't even faced homelessness. I haven't even faced hunger. I haven't even faced imprisonment. And I'm already finding it tough. God's got a long way that he wants to take his people. And when I have a self-pity party, I go there. I just remind myself that Jesus isn't surprised with where he's led me. It doesn't come as a shock. He knows what I need and he is faithful to provide it. So as you come here, as you are in community, encourage each other to live lives that put God on display. Don't get consumed by the ways of the world. Phil and I intentionally didn't get a mortgage and it's a really sore point with a lot of people. It's not because a mortgage is bad. We just knew for us, God wanted us to do it a different way. And we've seen Him use that decision over and over in our lives. And it's been a vulnerability where He has provided for us over and over again. So my testimony this morning is God's ways don't make sense. God's ways don't come easy. God's ways aren't comfortable. But God's ways are purposeful. And I go to bed every night knowing my purpose, knowing my King, knowing His favour, knowing His love, knowing His peace. And I wouldn't trade that for anything. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your ways this morning. Thank You for Your law. We thank You for Your provision. And we thank You for Your miracles. We thank you for your presence in our lives, for the very reality of you in our lives. God, increase it. Let others see it so that we can influence the next generation, Father God, the next group of people who are going to follow in your ways. Help us to lead the way, Jesus. Help us to trust you every step of it. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.